everyone. This is Matt Zanker standing in for David Silbin. Over the next few installments of our podcast, we are going to roll out some of the talks from our New Frontiers event that we held in November with our partners at NASA Glenn Research Center. The event, entitled Innovating for Systemness and Wellbeing, combined fascinating perspectives from healthcare experts, NASA scientists, flight directors, and even astronauts to compare notes about crisis preparation, management, and building a new future. While recorded virtually, these panels benefited from some visual cues, so you are invited to check out the videos on our UH Ventures YouTube channel. But we thought the content was worth sharing on our podcast as well. So without further ado, let's start with a panel that I moderated, along with UH's Sam Brown, NASA's Ginger Carrick, and Agility's Heather Holland. Here's Patricia with the panel introduction. Enjoy. We'll take a closer look at how we might use a systems approach and to better operate and deliver care to our patients and community. Our first panel for today, Healthcare, We Have a Problem, the Future of Mission Control for Healthcare, will be moderated by Matt Zanker, Senior Portfolio Manager with UH Ventures. Matt works on the Ventures and Innovations platform to attract, identify, and triage new innovation opportunities. If you have an idea as a caregiver at UH or want to work with a startup or industry partner to solve a burning issue, Matt is the first person you should contact. He has been working in the technology innovation field for nearly a decade with a specific expertise in healthcare marketing, programming, and content commercialization. Matt, take it away. Good morning, everyone, and thanks, Patricia. I'm excited to moderate our first panel of the event. This is called Healthcare, We Have a Problem, the Future of Mission Control and Healthcare. And I'm really delighted to be joined by uh, this panel. We've got um, Sam Brown, our colleague here at University Hospitals, our VP of Operations and Logistics. I'm also joined by Heather Holland, uh, the co-founder of Agility, uh, a company that's looking to bring mission control to healthcare. And then really honored to have Ginger Carrick uh, from NASA, who is uh, the Deputy Director of Exploration, Integration, and Science Directorate at NASA and was a flight director for eight years. So uh, really, really honored to be with this, this great panel today. My name is Matt Zanker. I'm a senior portfolio manager at, at UH Ventures. Um, and just to just you know, jump into it um, and frame this panel up a little bit, the, cent- the, uh, the concept of using a central node uh, to drive decisions in real time is really nothing new. Um, in fact, it really seems you know, it's common sense. Um, and, but embedding this type of structure into a very complex organization or operation um, can almost seem impossible. But as you may have seen from uh, some of the previous videos and some of the talks that we've had today, uh, COVID is really forcing organizations to rethink how we operate. Um, and it's really begin- it's becoming, um, it's really challenging our way of operating. And we're starting to think of new ways that we could you know, potentially introduce uh, command and control centers into healthcare. Um, but NASA, as we know, has been doing this for a long time. In fact, it's really hard to even picture how NASA could, could run without a mission control center. So it's great to, to kind of combine these perspectives and hopefully learn a little bit from each other. Um, I'll start and, and you know, Ginger, feel f- I'm gonna start with you um, and feel free to, you know, give us a little bit more of a background on yourself as well. Um, but really just wanted to, um, if you could paint a picture a little bit of what mission control um, is like at NASA, 
um, and maybe a little bit of the history and the evolution, where what it looks like today, and just kind of paint the picture of who's in the room, what are they doing, um, and how it's how it's evolved to to today. Sure, Matt. Um, thanks again for having me, and I'm I'm excited that uh, your industry is interested in our concept of mission control because I think it is possible to any industry out there to have that core focal point. So mission control first formed at uh, Houston Johnson Space Center in 1965. Um, our first mission control was set up for the Gemini um, 5 mission, Gemini 4 mission. And since then, it has evolved. So initially, in the Apollo era, in the Gemini area, we were focused on a single mission that had a clear start and a clear end. And these teams grew up together, trained together, lived and breathed their mission together. Uh, and similarly for shuttle, because those were 16-day missions. But today we have the International Space Station. We have a mission control here in Houston, one in Huntsville, Alabama. There's a small one in Canada, Russia, Japan, Germany. And the Houston mission control is the central focal point. But we are still able to um, interface with all of these smaller nodes um, across the world. And now SpaceX has come online recently. Um, they were already operating cargo ships. They're operating cruise ships. And so they have joined us now in the era of human spaceflight, where the primary job of mission control um, is to take care of our crew members and work together as a team. So I did that job for eight years. I worked um, at the very first uh, early space station missions. I worked three shuttle missions. Um, we docked crews, we, we uh, undocked crews, we, we um, had cargo vehicles coming and going. Um, and that was a really good experience and a good leadership opportunity um, um, for me. Um, I worked four years there before as a Capcom, you know, the, the person that talks to the crew, Houston, we have a problem. Hey, what's your problem? Um, so there's a wide variety of jobs in there. Those are the two primary ones, but there are system specialists, both in the front room and the back room and all of the mission controls that have to work together for a common mission. And Sam, if you could just talk a little bit about um, the command center um, and the structure that we set up uh, just over in the last, you know, the last eight months um, in response to COVID, um, you know, what, what are some of the roots of, of that structure? Um, and if there are any, you know, similarities or differences uh, that you could highlight based on what Ginger described? Sure. Um, so I think COVID's obviously uh, brought a number of us uh, forward uh, very quickly uh, into understanding how to manage a pandemic. Uh, specifically with a, a, a wide distributed network of healthcare assets uh, and, a, and a large community in Northern Ohio that we have responsibility to serve. Uh, so as COVID became, uh, became a thing, uh, really in, uh, in Asia and started to spread, uh, we very quickly uh, realized that in order to manage this, we were gonna have to have a centralized system that would uh, allow folks to make quick decisions and be a collaboration point uh, for a multidisciplinary team that would focus on things like emergency department uh, capacity and access, uh, med specialists in the infectious disease space, uh, coordinating with our intensivists uh, and ICU uh, colleagues as it pertained to care delivery models. Uh, and as we think about all the hospitals that we have, all the ambulatory, ambulatory footprint, uh, we started to frame all these components in the basement uh, of one of our buildings and physically built the infrastructure overnight. Uh, so within a 24-hour period, uh, with our IT colleagues, uh, set up monitoring screens, uh, set up a telephony system, communication channels, 
uh, secondary channels of communication, and really started to implement the hospital incident command system, which has got uh, its roots really in, uh, in emergency services, uh, which really comes from, from military concepts. Uh, so hospital incident command uh, came out of the 80s, uh, really out of, uh, out of the fire service, uh, which had been managing large uh, uh, wildfires out west, uh, and ultimately progressed into this concept of, of incident command and control. Um, at the end of the day, while the name is incident command, there's very specific seats, uh, roles and responsibilities for structure and communication channels uh, that allow in a, a, a more uh, streamlined uh, and effective uh, communication channel for decision-making. Uh, it really is about supporting the people that are on the front lines that are actually doing the work. So in our world, as we think about this uh, and, and the ongoing nature, both in the pandemic and, and for the long haul at University Hospitals, uh, we're, we're calling this very intently uh, the Systems Operations Center um, because we believe strongly uh, that this is really uh, it, it, a, a mechanism that allows folks to bridge gaps uh, that are natural in healthcare, uh, to focus on a patient and their journey across the various modalities uh, and disciplines that, uh, that they interact with uh, along their life's journey. Uh, so really, uh, really proud of the team at UH. Uh, we've done a lot in a very short period of time, um, but we've got a lot more work to do as we, uh, as we start to think uh, what this means for us uh, in, in the future. Got it. Thank, thank you, Sam. And, and Heather, Curious for your perspective too. I mean, as as Sam um, mentioned, you know, we're starting to think about you know the long haul and what this could mean for for university hospitals, not you know, outside of COVID. And so, curious to hear from you in terms of how has this um, this concept evolved over time, um, and if there are other you know use cases outside of kind of the system operation, are there other examples within health healthcare where mission control uh, or you know a command center approach makes sense? So at Agility, we work um, with health systems around the nation to kind of develop a strategic, um, you know, way for them to use these uh, systems operations center. You know, we want to enable and empower these care providers to make real-time decisions, and that's what we feel that these systems operations centers will do. Um, it gives them the real-time data so they can look at the um, screen and kind of see their real pulse of their health system and gives them, you know, the opportunity to make those real-time decisions rather than having to retroactively look at the day before, they're able to make those decisions um, during that moment. Got it. And so um, I'm gonna pivot a little bit to, to you know, some of the, because we're talking a lot about innovation today um, and innovating for systemness. Um, you know, one of the scenes that, that came to mind as I was preparing for this, and I apologize that this might be a little cliche, um, but we, uh, that's, that's kind of my exposure to NASA is Hollywood for the most part, um, but, the scene in Apollo 13, if everyone can recall, um, the, the astronauts were in dire straits and they needed to build a filter basically to, to survive. Um, and they needed to do it quickly and they had to do it with whatever they had on board. So there was the scene in, you know, with mission control of guys, we need to build something right now. And, here, and they, they dumped the box of materials on the table and they went to work right away. And so I'm curious, Ginger, from you, first of all, if that, if that scene is, if that still resonates, if that's, you know, just Hollywood, or if that really happens. Um, and just the, um, if you could comment a little bit on how mission control kind of works with in innovation and, and engineers, and, you know, how you solve problems in real time. Absolutely. Um, and yes, it does ring true. NASA and mission control is the focal point for 
innovative real-time decision-making, um, just what you guys are striving for. So yes, I, I had an incident where I was um, lead for a shuttle mission and we were retracting um, an array and the array was going, um, it, you would fly the array up in like in a little, it looked like an accordion. And when we attached it to the space station, you would unfold it and it was supposed to unfold to the size of a football field. And halfway through that unfold, you see it start to rip. Two of the solar cells had stuck together and there's this huge gap and it took us uh, seconds to hit the button to stop it. But by then we had this nine, 10 inch rip at the solar array. And I was in charge of a team that was called Team Four that hung around and waited for bad things to happen during a normal mission. So I got this team together and I had a young man come in and say, flight, flight, I know how to fix this. And he came in and he handed me this thing that looked like a cufflink. And I said, this is a, a very large cufflink. And he said, yes, I made it out of this material and this material. The astronauts have all these things in space. And if you put our astronaut on top of the shuttle arm, which is stacked on top of the space station arm, and you put our tallest astronaut up there, he can install this cufflink. And sure enough, we, it worked. We directed the crew to build this thing out of a bunch of spare parts. We sent, set up our astronaut out there and he repaired that solar array and that solar array is structurally stable today, 12 years later. So it was, we do see things like this in a, in a wide variety of ways every day. Um, even during COVID, we were supposed to, NASA goes into lockdown, you're not coming to work. We have to launch a crew in a month and a half on a brand new SpaceX vehicle. So how do you go about figuring that out. Well, we channel our, channel our inner mission controls at the management level, and we worked with SpaceX, we worked with Russia, um, because our crew members still have to travel to Russia, and they couldn't. Yep. Um, so how do you get them the training they need in this environment and still offer them the protections um, and the safety so that we're not sending COVID into space? Right. Uh, so it's, it's all about making sure you have all the right available to people and that you can exchange that across you know international lines across uh between companies commercial and governmental so it, it's not that dissimilar to some of the situations you all are faced with yeah yeah that's fascinating and and i think um you know sam if you have any examples too i mean just over the over the last eight months if there you know if any examples where you've had to turn to innovation or problem solving in real time um, and how you were able to kind of manage that from the from the mission or from the command center. Yeah, I think there's there's two explicit examples. First, on the innovation side, um, as as we got into COVID, um, we had to build very quickly uh, real time insights into what was happening in our ecosystem, um, and start to capture information uh, as it pertains to some of the testing activity, um, and start to understand and learn how could we identify where this was prevalent in our communities. And then what tactics would we take to actually uh, mitigate disease spread? So uh, an intercollaborative group of folks, uh, including Case Western Reserve, UH, uh, and ultimately uh, some of our other health system colleagues around Northern Ohio came together to start sharing data, started uh, to build models, uh, use some advanced analytical tools uh, that were very novel to, to help us understand where risk was presented uh, and, and ultimately built uh, what would be a, an alarm system, if you will, uh, in areas of high risk. So uh, nursing homes, uh, areas of congregate living, we built the system on the fly that would tell us as a hospital or healthcare community uh, that something was percolating. So we were becoming more proactive rather than reactive 
uh, which, which has had a profound impact on the way that we've managed, uh, managed the outbreak in Northern Ohio. And this crosses uh, organizational lines and we talk about cross-functional teams um, in collaboration. Uh, you know, we've certainly had great leadership in the state of Ohio with our governor, uh, Dr. Acton, as this started to kick off. Uh, but really the collaboration between the large health systems and then all the other hospitals uh, in the northern part of the state uh, still meet to this day uh, multiple times per week uh, to share updates and to start to collaborate on various tactics that can be impactful for our community. So um, this is something that I think is, as we look beyond COVID uh, with public health crises uh, and, and other opportunities uh, to, to advance uh, the, the community that we're privileged to serve in northern Ohio, uh, we will maintain these lanes of communication and collaboration going forward, both on the academic side as well as on the operating side. So really, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of need uh, at a very scary time, um, and folks have really risen to the occasion and, uh, and solved problems in a very dynamic fashion uh, over the past nine months. Yeah, so, um, <clears throat> you know, I think that's, you know, one of the things of, of uh, you know, the, these command centers, it sounds like there's, um, it's a catalyst for a lot of things, and it's a, it's a catalyst for innovation, as we've said. Um, and Heather, curious from you, if there, if, are there any other kind of surprising benefits when it comes to uh, mission control or command centers, um, you know, surprising perks or benefits that you see that's maybe outside of kind of the core function of decision making and, and deploying resources? Anything that you've seen in the industry? Yeah, I think, you know, for us, when you're in a hospital, you don't necessarily know what's happening next. Um, you know, we like to say that we kind of know more about our Amazon packages than we know about what we're what we're doing in the hospital. You know, as if there's a procedure coming or when the doctors come in the room. Um, so we see that as a huge benefit, really kind of um, developing a patient itinerary. So it really gives that patient kind of an overall view of what to expect. Um, you know, some things are the same if you're going in for a knee replacement, um, but if you're going in for different things, you know, those can kind of change. Um, you know, and it also gives your family members kind of a overall view of what to expect and you kind of just not sitting there waiting, looking at that clock spinning on the wall, um, which, you know, I know we do. Um, so I think that's kind of the biggest benefit that we see. And our tagline is to return the joy of practicing medicine, which is what, you know, the physician mission to take care of patients. Got it. Yeah, and you know, just to stay with you too, Heather. You know, I, and maybe we pivot a little bit into the into this human experience. Um, you know what? You know, we've talked a little bit about the dashboards and the technology and everything that needs to go into building this mission control. Um, but when it comes to you know the team, the people that are actually going to be using it, um, or potentially the the whether it's the um, hospitals on the other end or the patients on the other end. How have you, you know, thought about, uh, you know, human-centered design approaches, um, and how do you account for that for the user uh, when you're looking to bring these types of solutions to healthcare? Sure. So for us, of course, human-centered design is putting that user in, you know, all of the aspects of the problem-solving process when you are you know, design technology. Um, we see that as a huge opportunity not only for the end users, um, if it's nurses or physicians, um, you don't really have patients involved, but they're take the nurses and doctors are taking care of the patients. So in turn, it helps them. Um, you know, it kind of increases their trust it, with you in the health system, and it kind of gives them the opportunity to feel kind of a part of something. They feel part of, okay, hey, I helped develop this. And when the technology is there, they can actually help their colleagues and their, um, you know, their other colleagues around the health system to make this a better experience for everyone. Got it. And so Sam, yeah, you know, curious from you too, if how, again, having to do this in such a short amount of time, 
but establishing kind of the building the effective team, you know, a, a team that could really, you know, carry, carry this forward and how you established, you know, even just lines of communication and, and, this, and, you know, just made sure that all the individuals were kind of on the same page. Um, curious for your, uh, you know, advice or, or thoughts on that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, that the overwhelming advice uh, is to keep an open mind um, and uh, to really rely on the expertise uh, that folks have. Um, in an organization of our size, we're really fortunate to have uh, a really a wide variety of expertise um, and helping to make sure that folks have a seat at that table uh, as we encounter certain situations. Um, there's, there's a lot of opportunity to think through collabor collaboration, uh, both internally and externally. Um, you know, being a a, a large employer in, in the region, um, we've got reach with family members, uh, neighbors, et cetera, uh, into a number of diverse industries and businesses uh, that only enhance uh, our existing uh, intellectual capital that, that lives in the organization. So um, as we think about the way that things have transpired, uh, again, during the pandemic, it really been, uh, it's been a community effort. Um, and as we think about, again, the, the positioning uh, on, on uh, the future, uh, as, as Heather was explaining, um, as it pertains specifically to care delivery, uh, trying to bring tools and solutions that allow our providers uh, to spend time with patients and to deliver a personalized experience. Often healthcare can be very transactional. Uh, you go to this appointment, you go to that appointment, you go to this diagnostic study, uh, but bridging the gap for folks so that it's a holistic experience um, and really returns our, our care providers to rendering care. Uh, and to predict uh, what may happen uh, to help get ahead of some of these things that are, are, are frankly very predictable in many cases uh, and enabling folks with information in order to, uh, to adjust accordingly uh, as we move throughout uh, in any point in time. Great. And then, you know, Ginger, really curious to hear from you in terms of how NASA thinks about, you know, the humans within mission control or within the, within the space shuttle itself. How... Um, you know, one of the things that I, you know, was reading is just that there's a, a lot goes into establishing trust. Um, so um, can you uh, elaborate a little bit on how you establish trust, whether it's within the Mission Control Center or with, with the astronauts, what goes into even preparing prior to the, to the mission itself um, and how you, you know, maintain that during the, during the missions? You're on mute, Ginger. <laughs> Sorry. Um, both our crews and our flight control teams um, go through a very rigorous training program. Um, I'll speak to the flight control teams first. When we bring on young engineers, you know, straight college even sometimes, we send them through a boot camp. And in this boot camp, we make sure that they understand the, the foundations, the, the core principles for operating and mission control. And we ingrain that in them. Um, you, know, you have to have discipline, confidence, competence. You must be vigilant. You must work as a team. Um, you have to be tough and responsible. And so these are all things that we develop in there because the people that work in mission control, they are the last line of defense, defense for the crew. Um, it, space is a dangerous environment and the crew needs us to watch over them, watch over the vehicle as we execute the mission. Um, for the crew members, they also go through rigorous training. When they come on board, they are astronaut candidates, not astronauts. A couple of years of training before we say, yay, barely, you have graduated from astronaut school and now you are eligible to be assigned. And then when they get assigned to a mission, um, they go through a rigorous program. We, we uh, have scenarios where we um, 
work with mission control and the crew in simulations and we try to execute um, contingency procedures for all of the known failures that we can think of but we also try to build skill sets so that they can anticipate they can handle any failure that occurs and when you go through that that time together and you see you know day after day proof that this flight controller can um, identify a problem and reach a solution that protects the crew and similarly the crew can provide the ground teams information that can help them save the day um, that's how you build trust yep so I know we, we've got, we're almost at time here, so we're gonna do a little bit of a lightning round, um, but I wanted to get to this question. Um, and, I, and again, I'm gonna use another cliche, um, but I wanted everyone to just comment on what their moonshots uh, might be when, when, we come to, when it comes to, to control centers in healthcare, as well as even within NASA. Um, so if each of you could just give me, and I'll, and I'll start with you, Sam, in terms of, if you looked at you know, UH and, and you, know, you can choose five or 10 years, what is your wish for healthcare to look like, uh, you know, as, as an operation? You know, a lot of chatter around, um, around population health, but really, if we can get ourselves to a point where we can start to predict uh, disease progression um, through algorithms um, and, and, and uh, through software and start to understand across a broad distribution of people uh, where folks are um, consuming biometric data and other things, um, and then how we can synchronize and uh, personalize care to help mitigate the disease progression process. Spending a lot of my career um, in, in the EMS world, uh, we deal with the dysfunction of people that either haven't been able to access care or they don't recognize the fact that they need care. Um, so really, really focusing on how we keep the community healthy and how we intercede earlier on to drive value so that those catastrophic events that uh, inevitably occur today could be mitigated. Um, so, you know, it, it's really a talk about an aspirational goal. Uh, there's a lot that needs to happen in order to make that work from the delivery system as well as from recognizing these things up front. Um, but I think in a smart world, uh, we should be able to get ahead of these things and, and offer intervention that's convenient and personalized to folks uh, and, and intersect them in their life when and where they want it. Great. How about you, Heather? Any anything um, you know from an industry perspective that that you've that you have a target um, for uh, for 2025 or 2030? Just your wish. Sure. I think you know for us, we want Systems Operations Center to kind of be ingrained in the workflows. Um, so it gives you know everyone the opportunity to be able to use this um, command center. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, I would love for us to be able to know more about our health stay than we know about our Amazon package tracking. That's great. All right, Ginger. And then, you know, just to close with you, but, um, you know, I think, you know, if we're, if we're starting, starting from scratch, not, not necessarily from scratch now, but, um, you know, I think I'd, we'd be curious to hear from you just in terms of where NASA is going with mission control. Um, so we're not aiming for, you know, 1965, we're aiming for, for 2025, 2030. Um, how, how is NASA's mission control going to, you know, change in the next five to 10 years? What's, what's your moonshot, I guess? Uh, if you could. For the last, you know, um, uh, several years, 50 years, we have been operating it. People have it as a concept of a room, people in a room in a building at Johnson Space Center. And I think our vision is to be, you know, sustaining operations on the surface of the moon or on our way to Mars, but connecting people through a more 
abstract mission control where we we have a database in a cloud and we have people across the globe that we are directing to, to perform operations or to assist the crew um, from our homes, from coffee shops, from you know anywhere. I think that is the the ultimate vision. And mission control is not a building. It is it is a a and and it is who people are and what people do. And you don't need to have a building and seats and a headset to be able to do that. Um, you can do it from anywhere. Yeah, that's great. And so I think we'll we'll close with that. But really want to thank um, everyone for joining. Sam, Ginger, Heather, really a pleasure, really a fascinating topic. Um, and hopefully this is just the beginning of this conversation. Um, and we will have hopefully updates between now and 2030 <laughs> in terms of how this uh, could impact healthcare. Um, but wish you all the best and thank you again. And I'll send it back to Patricia. Thanks for listening. This was part one of our new Frontiers series. So please stay tuned for more over the next few weeks. Talk to you soon.